0: Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Beef and Lamb New Zealand Seen and Heard. I'm Aaron Meikle, um, Product and Development Manager at Beef and Lamb New Zealand. And once again, I'm your host. So this is another one of, well, it may be a shorter call. I'm not actually sure how long it'll go, but we're, we're tying a few podcasts in with a series of articles that our mid-Northern North Island Extension Manager, Maria Shanks, and her farmer council, Beef and Land New Zealand farmer council in the region, have have created Um bunch of tips and tricks and advice for farmers in the area but certainly applicable to farmers right around the country which is why we're doing a podcast on them about dealing with some of the issues we're facing at the moment um, so we're recording this in the middle of or near the end hopefully of the covid 19 lockdown um, but there's been drought in various parts of the country other parts of the country have had too much rain and are dealing with the after effects of floods and we're all nationwide dealing with some of the issues around um, a lack of processing space so I'm joined today by Lee Matheson from Perrin Welcome to the call, Lee. Um, first time caller, I think first time we've spoken with you. So you're, what do you do day to day and what's your role?
1: Okay, so these days I spend most of my time managing people, I think, Aaron. Um, yep. So I'm the managing director of Perrin Ag. We've got a team of, of 18 um, advisors and client support staff um, across most of the North Island uh, and then when I'm not busy managing the team, I'm an agribusiness consultant based mainly in the central plateau and Bay of Plenty regions.
0: Okay. And so Pear and egg that's, uh, that's your, your main bread and butter. Most of your team are agribusiness consultants, or, or do you do other, have other um, irons in the fire, so to speak?
1: Yeah, well, most, most of our work is farm systems work. In fact, a big chunk of our business is actually farm supervision work for mm-hmm. mainly Maori um, trusts and corporations. But outside of that, we've got a, we've got a small team specialising in, I guess, managing and optimising the environmental footprints of farm businesses.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've
1: also got a full-time farm economist or agricultural economist in the team as well. And Carla's based out of Tiki Tiki on the East Coast.
0: Okay. All no, right. No, interesting. And that, the last bit around the environmental stuff is becoming, I guess, a bigger and bigger part of work for everybody. So um, how's the team going? Are they all working from home? Or can you actually get out on some of those farms to do farm visits?
1: Yeah, look, so we are all working from home and, you know, we want to do the right thing and be in lockdown for as little time as possible. So I guess within our designation with MPI, we can get out on a farm if we absolutely have to, um, Mm -hmm. depending for the farms that we operate, but we're trying our best not to do that. And it's been pretty interesting seeing how inventive and innovative um, people are around how we actually conduct our normal course of business in a different way. That's been, um, yeah, been really interesting.
0: Yeah, no, same for beef in New Zealand, actually interesting to see how we can try and achieve the same outcomes we've always wanted to achieve, but not being able to run physical face-to-face events. So um, as, as uh, followers of the podcast may have noticed, we've increased the frequency and we're doing them um, twice a week now rather than once a week as we used to do, and we're not doing them face-to-face, obviously, we're over the phone, hence why, and we've already determined that it's not Lee's. Um, We've got that classic rural ambience of a slight tick from an electric fence short in the background. So um, it's pretty minor, so it's not going to bother us, but it certainly makes it sound authentic. How are things, like, leave aside um, the issue of the lockdown, Lee, how are things generally in your patch for farms at the moment? Oh,
1: look, we're probably getting a little bit skinny on feed now. Um, I think that relative to the rest of the Waikato and Bay of Plenty, Central Plateau kind of got thought, thought we'd got away with it in terms of the drought until probably about um, late February, and since then we've probably missed out on the rain that others have had. Um, just locally where I live, we had a good 35 to 50 mil over the weekend, so that's really helped kick things into life, and it's still reasonably warm, although we got pretty close to our first frost the other day. So look, we like most people, I think, we'd like some rain, we'd like some warm weather, and uh, we'd, like, um, we'd like to be able to shift some of that stock, but um, we've still got hanging about the, hanging about the paddock.
0: Yeah, and so where you guys are, you get r- your winters are reasonably um, challenging or tight.
1: Uh, look, not as tight as they used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, we used to probably be at a budget on between zero and zero growth during the winter, mm-hmm. whereas now certainly south of South of Rotorua, we're probably getting up close to ten to fifteen most of most of the time, which is a a big change. Um, but we've got plenty of clients who sit at or above the snow line, so mm-hmm. it's still 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 not the easiest place to farm over winter.
0: Yeah, no, just scratching right back to my geography from when I was at Lincoln, and we did the North Island field tour, that that sort of area. So, and most of your properties would be reasonably large-scale uh, sheep and beef, from what you were saying.
1: Uh, so, within the business, probably about half half dairy, half sheep and beef. Aaron. Mm-hmm. Um, and yep. most of those would be would be large, would be larger properties, um, particularly the the more corporate entities that we deal with. But still, you know, a lot of a lot of owner-operator clients mm-hmm. um, in the Bay of Plenty, um, particularly around the dair- in the dairy sense, and we have quite a large client base in the King Country and um, and South Waikato. So yes, yeah, still a lot of lot of lot of standard standards ex-ballot or ex-ballot yeah. farm size properties around the place.
0: Yeah, and I think if listeners can sort of get a bit of a, a visual or an imaginary picture of, of what you're dealing with, that's the, the key point there is, I mean, what your farmers are dealing with is not atypical of what a lot of our farmers around the country are dealing with. They're certainly not, um, not going to cruise through winter with um, high pasture growth rates and, and that sort of thing. Everybody's facing the crunch as it comes. So uh, let's get on to what we were actually here to talk about, which was um, some of your advice for farmers. With, with farmers, I mean, that, that's a fairly typical situation. We're heading into winter, the rams out or about to go out, um, traditional crunch time of the year. What's the key things you're telling your farmers at the moment to, to think about? And we'll dig into those in a wee bit of depth, but I guess the, the elevator pitch in, in, a, in a summary, what are the key things to focus on?
1: Yeah, well, I guess the main, the main thing really is for people to remember from my point of view that now we're thinking about next season, not this season, mm-hmm. and that while we obviously want to maximise the value we can out of the, the stock we still have on hand, we really need to start thinking about about what we want to achieve next season. And so I mm-hmm. think it's really just making sure that, that that's the lens that we view most decisions that we are making on farm through. And I guess yeah. the last the other side of that is also, particularly at the moment with the impacts of, of the dry and COVID-19 and a few other bits and pieces, that the best decisions are ones that we made yesterday, not the ones that we make tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So really just focusing on the fact that we can't, not that I think farmers can ever afford to to be slow in decision making, but actually we need to have some impetus around the decisions that we're making. We need to be decisive um, rather than reactive. And the earlier we can make good decisions, Mm -hmm. the more chance we have of being decisive rather than being reactive.
0: Yep. Early decisions tend to be good decisions when the pressure's coming on. Now, yep. the first point you talk about in your article, and it's actually quite an interesting one because we tend to say, well, these are extraordinary circumstances and this has happened out of the ordinary, that's happened out of the ordinary. But you talk about going back to your original plan and for your farm system um, and that, it's a, I guess, it's a chance to stress test it or have a look at it or, or try and stick to it as much as possible. Is that sort of what you're advising people, that they've got that plan for a reason and um, – yeah, try and n- yeah. not not throw the baby out with the bathwater, I guess.
1: Yeah, well, I guess it's about remembering why why your farm system set up the way that it is. So, mm-hmm. in my experience, you know, most of us try and set up our businesses so that we 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 make we make money most years, and uh-huh. in and in the good years we can smash it out of the park, and in the and in the poor years we can hunker down and and kind of get get through okay. And so, you know, most of our businesses are heavily reliant on, on grass as a feed and that's always going to be the case. Um, and so we tend to make sure that we, you know, we marry up our farm policies so that they work, you know, synergistically they work. And so I think it's really important for us to remember that if we've got a an 18-month bull policy, that bull policy works on the basis that those bulls, Leave the farm before winter so we can feed their younger their younger brothers you know, adequately so we can sell yep. them at the same time the following year. And I think that it's especially at the moment when we are under a lot of pressure um, and you know schedules are not performing like we'd like them to, and we're skinny on feed, there can be a real temptation to to try and hang on and and make the most of a of a bad situation. But I think it's really important for us to remember, you know, why do we have the policies we have in place. If we could all hold on to our stock forever, um, we always would. <laughs> um, yeah. But most of us don't. Most of us don't have the luxury of growing yeah. as much in June as we do in October. Eh? So I think it's just really about not getting caught up in the moment and thinking about what could have been, but understanding why we got things set up the way we have and using that as a, as a, as a bit of a guidance or a focal point, but making decisions at this time of the year.
0: Yeah. And I think that comes back to the original point, you know, about um, trying to. Focus on next season. I guess uh, what you're saying that you know a disruption to your system now is going to have some flow-on, fairly significant flow-on effects down the track. you better to try and contain the impact, I guess, within that season. Is that sort of what you're saying there?
1: Yeah, very, very much so. I mean, we can't we can't change what's already happened in the season, but we can really heavily influence what happens next season.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, yep. so anything that we do, um, I think we need to be yeah really focused on. I guess what what is what is the alternative use for that feed? And you know, yeah. in the article, we do talk a bit about those 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 toss ups between between where you put your feed. But the reality is that you know, at the moment, most of us can start to transfer feed effectively from this season into next season mm-hmm. um, by by our animal condition or pushing autumn save pasture forward. And then we need to think about what is the opportunity cost of of not having that feed. I mean, every animal that we we, we overfeed on a property, it's an animal. We're underfeeding on the property. So it's just about mm. understanding how do we start to make better decisions around the feed that we do have, with an eye on on maximising next year, rather than trying to try and trying to trying to try, try to manage what we what we've largely achieved already this year.
0: And this uh, probably a good segue in there. And you sort of talked about the decision making and the analysis. Your second point is show me the money, which is. Um, a pretty eye-catching title. What are you What are you talking about there, Lee?
1: I guess just really trying to highlight um, the, the opportunity to act, people to actually think about where their feed is going and what that actually what that actually means. Mm-hmm. So, for a lot of us, it's very easy to do the calculations, and I've got lots of clients that do this, and friends that do this, and I'm sure everyone else who's listening does as well. Where we all work out. Um, how much weight our lambs have to put on um, over a two-week period to be where we think the schedule is going to end up? Mm-hmm. So that's a calculation that most of us are probably pretty <laughs> good at doing, um, at least in theory. Whether we can actually yeah. get our animals to grow that fast is a is another thing entirely. But we're generally very good at focusing on those short-term, those short-term benefits and those short-term numbers without actually necessarily thinking about some of those longer-term impacts. So originally when i started writing the article for maria the ram was probably just about to start going out so i had to change it change the example when we when we realized that the ram is probably already coming out for most people
0: mm-hmm. but
1: ultimately ultimately you know understanding or quantifying what the dollar return is from putting feed at the moment into a into a into a ewe versus putting that feed into a lamb you're trying to finish is a lot more difficult mm-hmm. and so So while the example I've given is not necessarily going to be right for everybody and we're making a lot of assumptions in there, I guess the point is that actually in this particular scenario, we might be able to make 30% more money out of that feed by putting it into a ewe that that we're going to be taking through next season to lamb versus trying to put on an extra kilo of carcass weight the lambs that we have on farm if they're all ready to sell. Now, I understand that you know most of us are not necessarily in the luxury where we can simply ring up and get space at will so we are having to make you know the decisions we're going to have to make in that regard are certainly are certainly more more challenging more complex than i make out but we do need to be making decisions quickly and some of these simple simple analyses can be really good to allow us to at least you know prioritize our thinking in certain areas and to highlight the opportunities we have around as i say are we trying to are we trying to put the, the cherry on this season, or are we actually trying to make sure that we have ice cream next year? Um, and, and as I point out in that in that article, you know, for a breeding finishing property, which is you know probably the majority of our our sheep and beef clients in the firm, um, most of those businesses make more money out of actually breeding lambs than they do actually out of finishing them. Notwithstanding that that's the cream on top, but ultimately. Yeah most of us actually make the big chunk of our money out of actually growing, out of, out of producing the lambs, not actually putting the last kilo of carcass weight on
0: them. That's an interesting point. You know, It's been bandied around a few times, but was a good time to revisit it. Um, that People would tend to think, yeah, the finishing, by the very term of the name, is where you finish things off, the cream on the crop and that sort of thing, but uh, you're saying, and the analysis in the article, the article's linked in the blurb of this podcast, you can go and have a look at the calculation. Is in part the reason why people don't tend to make as much money as they think they do after weaning because their lamb growth rates aren't as good as they think they are achieving.
1: Well, I think that's certainly. I think it's certainly part of it. Mm-hmm. I think there are there will be some farmers who can accurately um, tell us what, what what how fast their lambs are growing because they weigh them, but but the vast majority of us aren't in a position to weigh all of our lambs all the time. It would be great if we were like a dairy farmer and we got a, mm-hmm. a, a daily a day a daily docket from from yeah. from, from Alliance of Silverburn Farms telling us how much our lambs were growing in the paddock, but we don't. So we do have to be realistic about that. But I think ultimately there are a large number of farmers who who fail to to grow their lambs as fast as they think they could, they could do, or or often forget about the costs associated with having those lambs on for longer. So you know, we often forget about the drenching, we forget about the extra crutch they have to have, we forget about the losses that we that we incur the longer we have those lambs on. So I think there is certainly some some truth in that. The other the other thing, from my own point of perspective, is that certainly in our area a lot of the land that we would have traditionally finished lambs and young cattle on is now in dairying mm-hmm. so so the average so so for a lot of my clients anyways particularly our larger clients um, you know the, the, the average quality of their land which they they farm on from a sheep and beef point of view is is, is less than it used to be so I, I feel that as an industry we are We've we've decided to. I'm not saying we've been forced to, but we've certainly decided to to finish finish stock on a country that traditionally maybe wouldn't have finished stock, mm-hmm. and and maybe we haven't adjusted our our perspective on on how fast those those animals can actually grow when they're on when they're on land at 16 degrees rather than land that's on eight degrees.
0: Mm. And yeah, it's interesting, yeah. And then if we we don't for whatever reason we're overestimating the Lamb live weight gains we're getting or underestimating the the rate at which we'll grow that then flows through into all these calculations you're talking about. If we're wrong on that, then then some of the marginal analysis is going to to tip over. What I there's a really interesting point in the article, and again encourage people to follow the link in the blurb or on the Beef and Lamb website and have a look, where I think you make the point that, that what the decisions we're making now are about making the best value of the feed that we're going to have in front of us the next six to eight weeks not trying to extract marginal value to use your words from the feed we've already eaten which is an interesting way of saying it. it's basically saying and I can sort of see the the, the way people think I've, I've invested all this time in feed and feed in the animals so far I should really you know rather than waste that try and put a bit more into them but you're sort of saying that's gone that's the point now is, is the feed. Don't worry about the feed you've already eaten so far this season. It's the feed you've going to have in front of you that you need to make those decisions about. Is that my understanding? That right?
1: Yeah, that's correct. And, and particularly at this at this time of the year, where where that, that feed is no longer surplus. You know, mm-hmm. for most of us, from October through to March, you know, a lot of that feed is what we might call in of commerce free feed. So mm-hmm. if I've already poked it into a lamb, I can afford to poke some more in to grow her or, or him a little bit faster. Mm-hmm. I mean, before I was a farm consultant, I used to be in the financial markets as a, as a money market trader.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: one of the big adages or rules of thumbs we often used to follow was um, never try and average down. Mm-hmm. So, so effectively, buy, you know, most of us didn't make our money by, by buying low and selling high. It's really mm-hmm. hard to pick those pick those points. You really made your money by, by buying high and selling higher. And I think yeah. a similar kind of concept is here. why throw why throw good feed after bad? You know, my, my view, even though it's very simplistic, is that most most of our finishing livestock or our trading livestock, they have it they have it they, they do their time on farm and then mm-hmm. and then once they've done their time it's time for them to go. And and particularly in the autumn and, and you know, especially the later we get into autumn the value of that feed that I can poke into that 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 lamb or that cattle beast to try and get that extra bit of live weight on or carcass weight on, while while yes I'm 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 potentially capturing more value out of the feed I've already put into that animal, one way of looking at it could be I'm actually trying to recover feed I've already wasted on that animal, mm. and and I think that at this time of the year, even as unpalatable as some of those those price signals might look like. People need to be um, need to start farming with, with reality in mind rather than hope, and they need to start making tough decisions around quitting livestock that actually that this hasn't worked out on we may we haven't got those calculations right. We can change that up next year, but now we need to way take our medicine a little bit and flush the dunny and move on in the words of Steve Hansen and start thinking <laughs> about, about next about next season, not this one.
0: It's um it's interesting, you know, it's human nature in a way. There's a, there's a famous story, the Concorde fallacy, if anybody wants to look it up, that the, the, the builders of Concorde, the plane, at a certain point realized the thing was never going to make money. They spent so much money and it was going to cost so much to, to to run that they shouldn't carry on. But their argument was, well, we've spent so much already. We've got to carry on, um, even though it was going to just make their losses worse and worse. But they, exactly as you're saying here, in a way, they didn't want to waste what they've already done. But it's human nature sometimes to, to not make those hard decisions. But um one way that can help farmers make hard decisions and I know it's a, it's a thing down in my neck of the woods in Otago and Southland has, has been stressed by advisors for a long time so it was really good to see you bring it up is your third point, identify your drop dead date. Um, sounds pretty harsh but what are you talking about there Lee?
1: So what I'm what I'm meaning there is, is people understanding and it's particularly relevant for us in the central plateau as well because our winters tend to be a little bit a little bit harder than, than others in the North Island you know understanding what is that date at which I have to down at my capital livestock numbers when I, and by capital livestock numbers I mean the animals that are going to generate income for me in the next season so that could be that could be store cattle that I bought that I'm going to carry through to finish in the autumn they may be they may be winter lambs that I've gone out into the store market and then bought now and are going to be carrying through but what other what are the animals that are going to generate my my profit and my revenue for me in the next the next financial year, and so I think we have to have an understanding around what what those dates are, because in, by not always, but by and large, our, our pasture growth rates from from now through until about October often tend to be the most reliable for some of mm-hmm. us. And I know you'll be in your neck of the woods, Aaron. It will definitely be the case. It can yeah. reliably grow nothing, <laughs> and yeah, and fragile. up here it can in here it can grow reliably very little. But we can actually then bank on those. So if we know those things with a degree of certainty, we can make much better decisions around around how we move forward. So so while I accept that it is different for every farm and every farm system, and it will vary between years depending on what we're looking like. But everyone everyone I think needs to understand what's that what's that what's that key date where all things being equal they need to be down to the numbers of animals that are going to sustain them next year, which is an- another way of, I guess, clarifying that. You know, up until now, maybe we can, we have the luxury of still thinking about this year a little bit. What's the date at which you absolutely fundamentally mm. have to only be focused on next year? So that's why I'm saying that's that drop dead date, which might be the date you have to have all those lambs gone, one way or the other. Yeah. Um, and people need to understand, I guess, you know what, what that looks like depending on their current feed position, what, what feed they might have on hand to throw into animals at the moment um, and, and what sort of growth rates they will have over the next, next few, next wee while.
0: So with your clients, I mean, are you being quite literal about it being up date rather than saying, oh, early autumn or late autumn or early April? Are you quite specific saying it'll be today's 15th of April? Are you saying 15th of April is the drop dead date? Do you, is, it, is the discipline, do you get them to be quite precise?
1: well i I get them to be precise but but not from the point of view of saying this is the date every year. What we're mm-hmm. really looking at yeah. doing is going back to the to the good old feed budget that we've we've, mm-hmm. we've we've been thinking about since February, hopefully, or it maybe got into in March or even even you know last last week, but actually saying, okay, you know working backwards from from next season, so you what what covers do I need to have at lambing?" What what covers do I need to have at this time of the year? What growth rates and what feed intakes do I need to put into those livestock that I'm going to carry through winter? And excuse me, and work back from work back from there to understand. Okay, if we don't get if our pasture covers haven't lifted to X by this period, we need to be moving this this, this livestock off the farm. So it's it's a, it's a flexible iterative kind of thing. There will be some people who who you know who say that ready by the by the first of may every year that 's it. Everything has to go. I think our our business acumen and our ability to to, to forecast and, and 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 you know do scenario analysis has improved quite a bit that we don't necessarily need to to work on a hard hard date like that, but the principle is still there that you know the feed budget should give you a reasonable indication by, you know, is it the first half of April, is it the back half of April, is it the start of May, as to when, as to when you need to be at those capital livestock numbers one way or the other.
0: Yep. So you've talked, you know, the sort of the short-term issues, the crisis issues, there's medium-term issues getting through this winter into next spring. Um, do you see, and I think you sort of touched on this in the article again to refer to it, that there's some long-term opportunities here. I guess this is a, stress tester for farm systems to see whether they are the right one or whether more significant longer term changes have been made. Is that will that be the sort of thing you'll be working through with some of your clients saying, look, this did work, this didn't work, we need to make bigger, longer term changes?
1: Yeah, absolutely it is. I mean certainly not keen on making those decisions in the in the heat of the moment mm. or and you know, when when the bloods your blood's still up from having to, <laughs> you know, sell sell those thousand last lands yeah. at two dollars forty. <laughs> Yeah, that's not yeah. a great time to be making long-term decisions. But I think it is really important that that in the, when the when the mists have cleared and the, the you know the dust has settled, so to speak, that people do go back and, and think about you know, what happened in the season, um, what could I have done differently, what might we need to do differently moving forward, uh, because we do have that opportunity at the moment still. I mean, our our lambing dates, and our calving dates are, are all set probably for most of us. Um, but we still have decisions that we can make around around trading livestock and maybe how we plan to farm some of those animals moving forward. So you know, one swallow does not a summer make to pull out another old hackneyed um, hackneyed saying. <laughs> yeah. But the rea- but the reality is, if 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 a farmer is failing to finish all their lambs season after season after season, and that's their intention, you know, their intention is to finish those lambs. I think it's worth you know, taking a good hard look at the farm system and saying, okay, have we got this you know, what's limiting this? Are we carrying too many too many lambs? Are we prioritizing feed into the wrong into the wrong into the wrong area? Uh, you know, most of us who some people make a lot of money out of selling store stock, but those are invariably the farmers who always plan to sell store stock. I think most of us most of us don't like selling store store lambs or store cattle because we're budgeted on finishing them yeah so it 's understanding about what what you can do in your farm system, what is going to work, and as I, as I alluded to in the article, this planning cycle you know we, we we do a budget, we monitor the budget, and then we review it and, and I think that we need to be a bit honest around around going through that, particularly at the moment where a lot of the certainly in my experience uh, consulting here now for about fourteen years, some of the things that we could reliably rely on. Um, year after year, are no longer the case, mm. uh, and you know the cli- climate is different to what it was when I first moved to Nakuru. I think it's going to keep on changing, and and I think it's a really really dangerous thing for us to to look at our farm businesses after a year like this year and say, oh yeah, but if I had a normal season, it would have been okay. Mm. Because while I don't expect, I don't doubt anyone listening to this podcast expects COVID nineteen to appear <laughs> again <laughs> next year. Um, there's a pretty reasonable chance some of us will have drought again and some of us are getting droughts more regularly than we used to. Mm. So we need to be thinking about how we build in uh, resilience or or, or areas we can let off stress in our farm systems and and not fall into the trap of just thinking, oh well, it won't be a drought next year, so my system will work again. I think we need to be a bit more honest with ourselves, and I do that in my own business and my own my clients' businesses. Um, there's plenty of things that I've done this season in our farms that I would probably do differently next year. So I need to be honest about that, and I think everyone else does as well.
0: Yeah. Now, I think you touched on it before too, that the hidden thing in a lot of this for the sheep and beef industry as a whole is we've ended up on higher and drier country all the while we've been pushing up the scanning percentages and so on and and sort of have lost that. As you say, a lot of the the good country, the finishing country has gone to dairy or dairy support. So um, it's sort of crept up on us on a wee bit. But one of the things we have, if if people listen to a few of these podcasts and read the articles are saying, look, it is a crisis, I guess, but there's another hackneyed saying or cliche that there's always opportunities in crisis. So um, A, There are some options out there, and as Lee's touched on, it's making those decisions early, trying to contain the damage, if you like, and prepare. But also there's an opportunity to look at some longer-term things and and the lessons learned, I guess. So that sort of covered what was in the article, Lee. I don't know. Is there anything else that's come up while we were chatting that you uh, would also like to cover?
1: No, I think we've given it a pretty good nudge today, Aaron. Clearly, I need to to talk to my neighbour about their electric fence.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, no, it's like, um, our part of the world, we get droughts regularly. That's great times to go and find out leaking pipes. So um, conference calls are great times to find out who's got the the shorting electric fence in the neighbourhood too. So anyway, hey, look, on that note, we will wrap up. Um, Lee Matheson from Perinag, thank you very much for coming on the call. Um, The podcast has got the the link to the article. It's going out in this week's e-diary, but that'll date the podcast, but you can find it any time you like in the in the blue on the podcast. So thanks very much for your time, Lee.
1: No worries, Aaron. Thanks for having me. Catch you later.